Okay, so we'll start with self disappears and we're gonna uh, go in alphabetical order. And so I believe Daniel maybe first. Sure. All right. Self disappears. Um, the second verse says, if the individual self does not exist, how then will there be something which is my own? There is lack of possessiveness and no ego on account of the cessation of the self and that which is my own. Naga Runa says, if the individual self does not exist because in the first verse, she show, he showed that even though we always emphasize I, actually there is nothing we can pin down about what the individual self is or where it comes from. Here he asks, if the individual self doesn't exist, then how can there be something attached to it as my own? Ellen? Sorry. In common sense, there are two ways to understand something, as a subject and as an object. A subject exists first and makes, its and makes it possible for an object to exist. I, as my subject, always comes first. Then I can recognize an object as mine or yours. We can prove what the object is by what the subject is because we have logic but what makes it possible for the subject I to exist? We try to understand it logically, but there is no way. We don't know what the I is, so finally the I disappears. If the subject disappears, very naturally its object also disappears. Finally, silence. There's nothing to say. Third verse says that for the person who is without possessiveness, and has no ego, the I doesn't exist. Whatever you may do by your physical activity and mental concentration, you can become one with your object. For example, when you concentrate on the activity of breathing in Zazen, you can become one with your concentration. When there is no Zazen to be seen as your object, and no subject called I to do the seeing, there is just the pure activity of Zazen. This is called Shikantaza. Gail? Hey, Trouty, you, you don't, you're going with the T? <laughs> yeah, yes. Okay. <clears throat> At that time, if you don't start to think, I am concentrating perfectly, then your sense of individual self will completely drop off, leaving only your real self. But human beings always think, I am, because we want to get proof of our existence. 
this is a problem for us. If you have started to think, I am concentrating perfectly, then your concentration has already stopped. Your individual self exists again, and you don't see your real self. Ivan? One, oneness and duality. In the fourth verse, Nagarjuna says that when ideas of subject and object completely stop, there is oneness. Does this oneness exist outside or inside of the self? You cannot say because in oneness there is no sense of either an outer or inner self. If you really become one with concentration in zazen, who is concentrating? You cannot say because when your thinking completely stops, there is no consciousness of being a person who is meditating. There is just the pure activity of zazen. Jay? Then your dualistic human consciousness tries to catch that experience of oneness. We are human beings. Our, our conscious minds always want to get something, to know something. That is called grasping. In the 12-fold chain of conditioned arising taught by Shakyamuni Buddha, grasping or attachment is Upadana, the ninth link, which is the acquiring of karma. Then (laughs) Nagarjuna's very existence is being, the 10th link, which is called bhava. In other words, something comes into existence by the functioning of karma. This is birth, being present or your life. If grasping is stopped, then immediately there is also destruction of your various existence. But then grasping always appears again. It's just like a flickering light. Something is always grabbing the attention of your conscious mind with pros and cons, good and bad, (coughs) right and wrong. No matter how long you practice Zazen, the inside of your mind still shows you that flickering light. The more you practice, the more, <coughs> the more you realize this. I always tell you when that comes, just be one with that, just like. That's a very simple practice, but it's not so easy. You may say, I'm ready to die, but are you sure? If you ask me, are you sure you will die? Peacefully, yes, I am. But on the other hand, no, I'm not. As a whole, there's nothing to say because, well, how do you know? We are always trying to pin things down by grasping. We want to hold on to something true that gives us security, but truth isn't understood as something absolute. That never changes. We cannot say what truth exactly is. Truth is just change. Provisional self. In Buddhism, we say all things are empty because they are impermanent. But in our daily life, we can see things that occupy a portion of time and space. 
So to explain this, we say there is a provisional state of being that exists temporarily. A provisional being is something that exists, but not in a fixed place. It exists right in the middle of change. Within impermanence, there's an individual self that exists right here, right now. Something real that you can see and feel. But we don't accept that there is an individual self, Atman, that exists forever. Your individual self is a provisional being. It exists provisionally or temporarily because it exists for exactly one moment and then disappears. In the next moment, a new self appears. Your individual self is always moving and changing based on the functioning of countless causes and conditions. So there is nothing permanent for you to attach to and no way to say whether it exists or does not exist. That's why Nagarjuna uses contradictory logic and says there is no individual self. Sandra? Even so, if you want to understand the self as it really is, you cannot ignore the provisional self. We have to understand what it is. How can we know? Reflect on yourself. Study and penetrate yourself very deeply. Use your provisional self to practice no self, anatman. And then see your provisional self with Buddha's eye. Time and space. Scientists are very interested in understanding black holes. You may say, I don't care about black holes, but watch out. Sooner or later, everything is sucked into a black hole. You cannot ignore this. In the Midwest, we have tornadoes, cyclones that suck everything up into the sky. Where do they come from? A tornado is produced by countless conditions in the sky. When those conditions come together, they create energy and a huge world forms. Sooner or later, that huge world touches down on the ground, sucks everything up, and scatters it into space. You cannot ignore this. Trouty? Sorry, I was muted still from the meditation. I apologize. Black holes and tornadoes have huge power over they are nothing but the functioning of life energy. This energy is not a divinity or something almighty. It is real reality. Real reality is just activity, function, or movement. The lively energy of life itself. This universal energy is the point that Buddhism is always interested in. We start over again now, alphabetical. Okay, um, is, if everything is in the lively, um, if everything is the lively energy of life, what's the difference between birds and human beings? Their way of using. Um, Daniel, um, I think you missed a paragraph. Oh. I'm you should sorry. be starting with the intersection of time and space. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. 
um, the intersection uh, of time and space. In Buddhism, we say that everything is the lively energy of life. When that universal energy touches down at the intersection of time and space, in temporary, it temporarily appears as form. The form of a human being, the form of a tree, a bird, or a pebble. So pebble possesses a strong power. Trees are powerful. Birds are, are powerful. And human beings are powerful. All beings are powerful because they are nothing but the lively energy of life. If everything is lively energy of life, What's the difference between birds and human beings? Their way of using energy in one moment of time and then scattering it back into space is different. You and I have the same lively energy of life, but Katagiri is completely different from you. This difference is nothing but the way we express the lively energy of life after touching down at the intersection of time and space. Each one of us is a particular being who is located at the intersection of time and space. The intersection of time and space is the place where you really exist. All beings exist by being right here, right now. If you understand time and space, then you can understand real reality, the place where time and space are perfectly unified. So let's see the meaning of time and space. Time is the aspect of your existence that is based on the time process. In the time process, as a human being, first you see something with your conscious mind, and then you recognize that it exists. When you see a flower and say, flower, you are thinking. You are recognizing that the flower exists as an object separate from you. Everybody experiences their own life through this dualistic mental process. You cannot escape this function of your human consciousness. If you didn't have a conscious mind, you could not see, hear, touch, taste, feel, or think. You could not understand anything at all. Ivan? In the realm of time, everything exists separately from everything else. So, for example, I am an individual human being called Dainin Katagiri. Katagiri is Katagiri. Katagiri is not you. If I don't mentally recognize this separation, I cannot realize that I exist as a person called Katagiri. But prior to the functioning of my consciousness, before I think and recognize my own individual existence, something already exists. Since I would not be able to think about myself if my life didn't already exist, the fact that I'm thinking is proof of my existence. That is why Descartes said, I am thinking, therefore I exist. I am sure that category exists because category is thinking. But this individual self that I recognize is not my real existence. It is only something temporarily running. It is only something temporarily running through my conscious mind in the realm 
of time, the original, pure nature of my existence is the realm of space. Hmm. Kim? In the realm of space, things are not separate and independent. All beings are interconnected. We are interrelating and interpenetrating with each other from moment to moment <coughs> at super speed. That's why we don't know exactly how we exist. The spatial aspect of life is the original pure nature of existence. Technically, we call it Buddha nature. In Buddhist philosophy, it is called emptiness. Zen is particularly interested in this aspect of life. In the Blue Cliff Record, case 46, when the Zen master hears raindrops, he asks the monk, what is the sound outside? The monk says, it is the sound of raindrops. So the Zen master says, I wonder if most people make a mistake understanding the raindrop. Because if you say it's the sound of a raindrop, it's not the pure nature of sound. Is something running through your noisy conscious mind. Mm. Then the monk asks, how about you? In other words, how do you understand the raindrop sound? The Zen master said, I almost make a mistake. If you try to say what the pure nature of a sound is, you always make a mistake because pure nature is not something you recognize with your conscious mind. The Zen master almost made a mistake, but he didn't, so there was no mistake. Almost means that the pure nature of a raindrop sound and the Zen master's own pure nature are not separated. Their pure natures are interconnected. This case shows the two aspects to your existence. In space, you cannot say who you are, but in time, your senses function and you can recognize yourself. If you want to understand your life, you have to understand both the practical, impermanent realm of the time process and the interconnected eternal realm of space. Then you can understand the place where those two aspects of life are unified. That is the intersection of time and space. At the intersection of time and space, everything exists separately and everything exists interconnected. That is the pivotal point where the incipient moment is functioning. This very moment is the place where you are fully alive as you really are. You are individual, uh, you are individual you in time and your existence is interrelated with all beings in space. So you are you, and simultaneously, you are not you. This is reality. It seems to be contradictory, but we live in that reality. You are connected with the whole universe. You cannot escape. That's why, as clear as we can, we have to understand the reality we are present in. So is this where we stop? Seven thirty. I think we've been going to eight around eight. That's what I thought. Oh, okay. I thought we were reading a chapter. I didn't know we were reading till no. a certain. 
Okay. So and then we find a good stopping point around eight. Okay. Yes. Great. I'm sorry. The directions on the um, on the uh, Zoom said um, oh. read to the chapter. Okay. Thank you. Taking care of everyday life. Your life possesses a very strong power because it is the lively energy of life. That energy is always present in your life. You can depend on it, but that doesn't mean you can use it to build up your ego. How to express your energy in your daily life is always a question. We have to be careful. Whatever we may do, we have to find the best way to live in the human world by expressing the energy of life in a concrete way. How? Take care of yourself and simultaneously don't attach to yourself too much. You cannot ignore your existence in real, sorry, in realm of time. You have to live as an individual person and take care of your life in a practical way. The problem is that we are always looking at our life only in terms of the time process. We are attached to being separate from others and having our own ideas and opinions. This is a problem because you do not live only by your own effort without the effort of myriad other beings supporting your life, you would die. So you also cannot ignore the existence in the realm of space. Daniel? In the realm of space, your life is nothing but the lively energy of life interconnecting with everything. So you are not you, you are all sentient beings, all that exist, animate and inanimate. Even though you are one small being, this one being is produced by many things. That is the big scale of your being. You can trust in the big scale of your life but you cannot always live there. If you try to stay in space, your individual life is completely up in the air. You are a being who is also present in the time process. So come down to the earth and express this energy in your daily life. In daily life, there is no reason why you have to attach to yourself or your ideas too much. You are you in time, but simultaneously in space, you are not you because you exist with all sentient beings. Even though you are exactly you, still wherever you go, you are interconnected with others. So let go of your strong attachment to your individual self enough to see how your own life is supported by other lives. Letting go doesn't mean to ignore your human life. No, you have to take good care of your life. But as much as possible, let go of your attachment to self-centered ideas and just pass them by. Passing by means to keep the big scale of your life warm in your heart and polish it 
Polishing it means opening your life to everybody. Open your understanding, your opinions, your emotions, and let's live with all sentient beings. For example, when you cook a meal, a vegetable is separate from you. You are you and the vegetable is vegetable. But on the other hand, all sentient beings are supported by the lively energy of life. The great energy that supports your life also supports the vegetable's life. So the vegetable and you are interconnected. If you open yourself to the vegetable, you can get into the vegetable's life and the vegetable can come into your life. Then you and the vegetable can communicate. When you see the vegetable as an expression of the universal energy inhering in everything, there is a kind of inspiration that goes in and out between you and the universe. That spiritual communion is called Kano Doko. Kan means receive or feel. No is respond. Do is path or way. Ko is crossing. You cannot explain it, but you feel good. Immediately you feel what you really are. Then when you look at a vegetable, you see many beings in the realm of the vegetable's life. That is the real life of the vegetable, Buddha's life, we say. But if you recognize that communication dualistically, <laughs> immediately you attach to it. In terms of time, maybe you think, I did it. I had very good communication with the vegetable. I did something good. Or in terms of space, you try to create beauty. So you start talking to vegetables. Hi, vegetables. How are you? I'm taking care of you with the compassion of a Buddha. Well, that's beautiful. But in actual practice, there's not enough time to have a conversation like this. So forget your thinking. Calm down and keep your mouth shut. In the realm of time, you cannot see the energy inherent in a vegetable directly, but still you can take care of it in a concrete way. How? Very simple. Deal with a vegetable with warm heartedness, expressing the lively energy of your life and, <coughs> and respecting the lively energy the vegetable also possesses. Accept that a vegetable is Buddha, then open yourself and extend your life toward the vegetable's life. Just walk with it. Very naturally, you handle the vegetable with compassionate attention. This is simple Zen practice. If you think of this practice with the frontal love of human knowledge, you don't believe it because human knowledge cannot see the pan panorama picture of one life working with the universal life of sentient beings. So relax your frontal love and just take care of your daily living. Even if you don't understand Zen teaching intellectually, still you can pay kind, compassionate attention to the things around you. Pay attention to others, not just yourself. This is the practice of egolessness. It is a practical way to live every day. Sooner or later, you will taste the lively energy of life. 
being present. Human beings always expect to get a result from our effort. So when you start to practice Zen, you may think that experiencing enlightenment in Zazen is your objective, something for you to achieve. If you see Zazen in that way, you are seeing it only with your discriminating consciousness. In real Zazen, there is no expectation. You are simply alive. You return to the original fundamental activity of life. Your Zazen communicates with everything and you feel good, you feel peaceful, you feel satisfied. I always say, just be present. Your life is supported by all living beings. So just be there. Just sit right in the middle of Sasen that is expressing aliveness, the original energy inherent in you. Raindrops, trees, birds, and all beings. Then you are a person who is humble and very gentle, soft, open-minded, magnanimous, and compassionate. The intersection of time and space is the unique place for you to be present and alive as you really are. But it's pretty hard to be there. We don't really know how to deal with the huge energies arising there. Still, if you seek a calm mind, the important point to learn is the exact, precise point where you manifest your own life and simultaneously the life of the whole universe. That is why we practice Zazen. In Zazen, as simple as we can, we try to just be present at the intersection where this very moment is functioning. At that time, in that place, there is no way to analyze Zazen as something separate from you. All you can do is just the one, be one with Zazen as the rhythm of life and communicate directly with Zazen using your whole body and mind. Then through your skin, muscle, and bone, Zazen teaches you the pure nature of human activity sitting right in the middle of the original lively quality of human life is called shikantaza. Zazen as shikantaza is nothing but dynamic functioning, function and movement. That's all, there is nothing else. When you see your life in terms of the human world and simultaneously in terms of real reality, many possibilities, come up. Each moment is a unique opportunity for you to create your life anew. The time and space of whatever you do, saying good morning, having a meal together, or sitting zazen, is the precise point where you digest the life of all sentient beings and create new life. This is our practice every day. It is also the practice of the whole universe. Light of the self. Buddha's teaching constantly tells us how sublime human life is and how great our human capacity is. In Buddhism, this great capacity is called light. Each and every one of us has this light. When you look at your life and see how selfish and ego Ego, egoistic 
human beings are, you don't believe you have a great sublime capacity, but you don't discover your great capacity by evaluating and judging your human value. If you are thinking in that way, you have already shut yourself off from that light. Don't judge yourself as selfish or egoistic only. You are something more. So whatever you think about your life, first accept yourself as a person who has a great capacity. Then in whatever situation you may be, calm your mind and take care of your life positively. If you get angry, try to calm your mind, even if you are just pretending. You may say that pretending to be calm is not realistic, but try to calm down anyway. That is not so easy for us, particularly under difficult circumstances. But still, whatever happens, you can stop, open yourself, and try to see the whole situation. Then you can learn a lot. The whole world in the 10 directions. You have a sublime capacity to understand your life. That capacity is called light but it is completely beyond any intellectual understanding of what your human capacity is. Beyond your human speculation, you are already great because whatever you may do, wherever you may be, light is working with you. This is called the light of the self. In Shobo Genzo Jippo, The Ten Directions, Dogen mentions a saying by Chinese Zen master Chosa Kaishin. He says, the whole world in the 10 directions is the light of the self. The whole world in the 10 directions is within the light of the self. This saying seems to present two different ideas, but actually it is one picture seen from two angles. The Buddhist term 10 directions represents the entire universe eight compass directions above and below, but it implies something more than the ordinary concept of the universe. The ordinary idea is that when you were born, the universe was already here. You're born into this world and then you try to understand it. But if you try to understand the meaning of the whole world in the 10 directions in the ordinary way, you will never understand it because you were not born into a world that was already here. You and the whole world were born together. You were born simultaneously with mountains, rivers, and the whole universe. That is the Buddhist teaching of independent co-origination. A mountain appears to be very stable, but actually a mountain is moving. Mountains are alive because mountains are constantly in the process of birth. If you understand a mountain in that way, you understand that your life is simultaneously there. Day by day, from moment to moment, your life exactly coexists with mountains and rivers. You cannot be separated. This is your everyday life. We think we know pretty well what everyday life is, but in a different <laughs> sense, Everyday life is the great source of the flow of life energy, digesting everything and producing new life. Do you want me to read that? 
In Shobogenzo Shinjin. <laughs> yeah, in Shobogenzo Shinjin Gakudo, Body and Mind Study of the Way, Dogen says, everyday mind is always every day throughout this world and the other world. Yesterday left from that, today comes from that place. When you go, the whole world goes. When you come, the whole earth comes. The gate of this everydayness is opening and closing at the moment. The gates of myriad, myriad beings are opening and closing at the moment. You read this statement in Japanese. It's very beautiful. When I translate it into English, maybe it's not so beautiful, but behind the words, please try to understand that everydayness is something existing with all sentient beings. It is present with the vast cosmic universe. Dogen Senji is difficult to understand because he uses words to express the oneness of the whole universe. Still, even if you don't understand exactly, when you read this statement, something appears through the words and you are really captured by Dogen's beautiful statement. Every day, from moment to moment, the whole world arises like images in bas-relief sculpture. If you calm the functioning of your consciousness, you can actually see images coming up from the background of space. It's like watching a dance. Something is constantly moving. In the Tao of physics, Fritjof Chapra, Kapra, sorry, recognizes that activity is Shiva's dance, the cosmic dance of creation and destruction. In Buddhism, we say it is the continuous stream of life energy. It is called continuous practice. In the realm of continuous practice, there is a great opportunity. You can see the universe coming up as the one whole. It's just like a television. Push the button and the merit being existing in the vast expanse of the universe immediately come into one screen. That one screen is called the self. What is the self? Is it your small egoistic self? Can you say yes or no? The self is a picture of the whole world coming up, but it's completely free. Sometimes it appears as your individual self. Sometimes it appears as trees, birds, or pebbles. Sometimes it appears as vast space. This is the true picture of the great self you already have. True self is not something separated from others. It is interconnected and constantly working with others. Where? Not in your own small territory. It's working in the huge universe. In Japanese, that working is called homyo, light. The functioning energy of the whole world is the light of the self because light is working from moment to moment. The whole world constantly manifests itself as the human world. At that time, the whole world is within the light of the self. Light of the self is something you can know because that energy is always moving and acting in your own life. Usually you are not aware of it, but it's true. 
you can taste this. You can actually realize the dynamic functioning of your own life. When you sit down on your cushion, the whole vast universe comes into you as your body, your mind, the contents of your life, and you can taste the depth of human life. Then you can stand up there and take care of everyday life as it really is. So please accept your life as the whole world and take good care of your life. Dogen's eyeball and nose. Dogen says something very interesting about the light of the self. I don't know if my translation is right or wrong, but in Shobogenzo Jippo, he says, it is a single sheet with the eye and its cornea. That's pretty interesting, but not so easy to understand. In your eyeball, the cornea covers the lens. It's transparent, so you don't see it. When I say that the cornea covers the lens, I have already separated the cornea from the lens. But is there any space between the cornea and the lens? No, there is no gap. When your eyeball is functioning in the proper way, those two things are working together as one. If you have some space there, that's trouble for you. Please see a doctor. <laughs> Uh, all right. <laughs> when when Dojin Zenji says light of the self means no gap between I and cornea, he means there is no gap between you as your subject I and your object, whatever it is. Words always create a gap between things, but subject and object are not actually separate. They are interconnected. Your life and the whole world are always working together as one dynamic functioning. So self and the whole world are not separated. They are the same. Whatever you do, you always do it with the whole world. Dogen also says the whole world is, it is one's nostrils prior to the parent's birth. This is very strange. So what does it mean? The world prior to our parents' birth is unknown for us. <coughs> so this saying implies the whole world throughout the past, present, and future. We don't know what that huge world is exactly because it's too vast, too eternal to know. But even though you don't know, here are your nostrils. In other words, right now, right here, that huge world is your nose. That is the very existence of your nose. When your nose appears, it is the whole universe. How? I don't know. But if I accept that the whole universe is constantly in the process of birth, then my nose is also coming up from moment to moment. My nose appears as a particular being because the whole world is functioning as one being. So through my nose, I can understand the universe and sometimes appears as time and sometimes as space. Through your nose, you can learn a lot. You can know many beings because each and every being is exactly the whole world. In Buddhism, we accept every aspect of human life like this. Total dynamic activity. 
Why are you alive? What makes your life continue? Is it by your own effort? Well, of course you can say so because you cannot ignore making an effort to live every day. But there's something more than that. You survive because something real is working every day. Your life is moving with the whole universe. That movement has no colors, no flavors, nothing. But it appears to you under certain circumstances. For example, when you dance wholeheartedly, you can feel that energy coming up. When you see this energy in terms of your own life, it is called individual effort. Before that, it has no name. It is just dynamism. If we give a name to it, this movement of life is called great effort or universal effort. Universal effort is there first, and then it appears in various aspects of your life as your individual effort. We use the terms universal effort and individual effort, but actually there is no gap between them. You take care of universal effort by your individual effort. It is a little difficult to do this because we are always critical towards our own effort. We attach to getting a certain results from our effort. They will judge it in terms of ideas and emotions connected with our heredity, education, consciousness, and memories coming from the past. So it's very complicated. Universal effort is very simple. That's why we try to understand our lives in terms of the universal perspective. How? When you wash your face, accept washing as universal effort first, and then make your own individual effort. Deal with everything, your face, the water, your posture of standing in front of the basin as universal activity. Through the actions of washing your face, you can go beyond your usual understanding and experience the pure nature of washing your face. This is the realm of total dynamic action. Right in the middle of taking good care of your individual effort is universal effort. The whole world comes into one screen. That one screen is the big picture of your life. When you see that living screen, you can learn who you really are. What makes it possible for the whole world to come into one screen? It is by your own acting. When you act with sincerity and a warm heart, there is a great opportunity, a very subtle opportunity to invite the whole world into your life. That is wonderful. But if you misunderstand acting, it is very dangerous. The usual meaning of human action is dangerous because when we act only on the basis of individual desires, customs, lifestyles, or hereditary, we are always creating problems. That's why people are afraid to act while um, afraid to act, why people want to withdraw from the world and be quiet. Still, wherever you may go, whatever you do, even when you are asleep, you never stop acting. 
nothing stops your acting. So your activity must be refined. In refined human activity, your whole body is in dynam dynam dynamism, but your mind is quiet and calm. At that time, no words are interposed between you and the universe. So your idea of a separate self disappears. If your idea of separate of self disappears, is there no self? Yes, that is true. You are walking in the vast expanse of the universe with people, animals, mountains, the sky, the four seasons, space, and there is no gap anywhere. At that time, you realize the big picture of your life and your great sublime capacity. Um, guys, it's four, it's four minutes to eight. Um, this might be a good place to stop. The next part seems really short. And then. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go ahead then. Oh, yeah, it is. Okay. Moving from doubt to wisdom and compassion. In Buddhism, we try to be straightforward toward our great capacity, live wholeheartedly with sincerity, and display our light in everyday life as best we can. But maybe you are skeptical of this capacity, so your mind doesn't accept it. Maybe you understand it intellectually, but your body doesn't accept it. That skepticism is called doubt. For example, when I answer some question, you say, yes, category, I understand what you said. Then you say, but, and you wanna talk about it some more. <laughs> Where does that but come from? It comes from a gap between you and your object. We are always talking about this gap and how to fill it up. That's all right. Talking is the nature of human beings. Discussion is interesting for us. But if you are always talking, you never know real reality. Finally, you become exhausted. Before you ask a question, you are already here. You are already alive. So how do you live right now? Buddhism teaches us how to straightforwardly accept how sublime human life is. That is the activity of Buddhist practice. When you touch your real self, you experience deep communication between you and the object of your practice whatever it is. Then you can accept something totally and deal with it straightforwardly without creating any gap. So keep your mouth shut, calm your mind, and just be present in the continuous stream of life energy. The Buddhist understanding of the self or the whole world seems to be abstract, but it is not abstract. You can really see and touch the self. You can learn that the whole world <coughs> in the 10 directions is the light of the self. How? <coughs> Action. Try to remember this. In the dynamic activity of your practice, something happens that you have never expected. You can learn something great. That is called wisdom. Wisdom is a deep understanding of yourself and the whole world around you, not only that's on the surface of life. With wisdom, you understand that your whole life is simultaneously the whole in the 10 directions. 
then compassion comes up and you accept others with magnanimous open-heartedness. Compassion makes you generous and through this generosity, you can live with people. You can take a breath with people. I need to pass because my doggies are barking a lot. True compassionate action is based on wisdom. So when you express compassion, it should be based on deep understanding. If you use the world just for your own life, it becomes stinky and people don't like you. They keep away from you. But if you act with the whole world, light appears in your everyday life. Then very naturally, your compassion is transmitted to somebody else. People feel this, people understand. You cannot perceive it, but people immediately receive this warm communication. It's just like lightning. That was perfect. You guys were right. We ended up right at eight o'clock. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so now we're going to write for 10 minutes. Um, Kim, if you can close the screen. And um, I'm going to set a timer for 10 minutes. That's right. An agreement? Okay, good. Okay, starting now. Okay, that's 10 minutes. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, I thought this was a great reading. I was hoping I'd have my book um, for this, this meeting, but it still hasn't come in. So hopefully next week, because um, I like to go back and look at things I've underlined when I'm writing. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I wrote something down real quick when we were reading earlier, and that was the Canodoko, the spiritual communion. Mm -hmm. I was really struck by that, um, especially the, you know, that he would he would talk about that in relationship to a vegetable. Um, it really helped me think wider mm -hmm. instead of just sentient beings or nature. It's mm -hmm. so easy to have that spiritual communion with other people or with nature, but I just had not moved past that. Um, and I, one of the things that I, I did when I was writing is I stopped and I looked up exactly what the definition of spiritual or spiritual was. And the Oxford Dictionary says it's relating to or affecting the human spirit or soul as opposed to material or physical things. And I realized in just reading it, like that is so um, such a tiny box that they've put that in compared to what category is talking about. Um, so what I'm taking away from this tonight is that recognition that the interconnectedness is, has that spiritual component to it, which I had not thought about before. And that feels really, really important to me. So um, anybody else like to share what they, what came up for them? And please just chime in. Mm 
or if there were questions that came up for you. Yeah, Jay. Well, um, <laughs> I, what I what hit me was that um, it's funny how <laughs> we are told, uh, do not lose yourself. Hold on to yourself because if you lose yourself, then you know um, it's a point of weakness. And here I am trying to do that very thing that before I would fight against, you know. Mm -hmm. So that um, really hit me, and um, I love the fact the in the reading the the inserts of uh, levity that he put in, you know, the lightness because. I think that, and it's a reminder, you know, even though it's heavy stuff, not to take ourselves so seriously, enjoy, you know, jo enjoy this life and um, be easy, be light. So that really um, hit me. And um, there was something else. Hold on. Um, you talked about... Um, like uh, <laughs> uh, that if we try to think of it, it's too big for our minds to comprehend. And it really made me think because uh, recently, like a few months back, I started thinking of um, really individuals as like red blood cells and, every, you know, everything is like the human body is like a, a mic microcosm of the whole Thing, right the so and in everything it's just being uh repeated the the same template is repeated but we don't really see it because we think we're separated and individual so we're you know within us is red blood cells but we are also red blood cells in <laughs> the whole cosmos and if you think about it the planets uh their own blood cells in the cosmos and then the galaxy, you know, so it's like my mind really like exploded when I try to like go beyond. And um, with him talking about just focus on the nose made me really think about that because I'm telling you, my mind was just like seeing all these connection and repeating patterns that we um, often uh, ignorant of. So that that was my take. I um I really enjoyed uh, category bringing down these um, really uh, hard to understand concepts into kind of your a way to practice with your everyday life to feel into what he's trying to show show you. And like for me, I loved it when he talked about washing your face, uh, mm -hmm. except washing as a universal effort first, then make your own individual effort. And the way I heard that was just wash your face. You don't need to have thoughts running in about, you know, anything. It, it's just It's just life washing its face, <laughs> you know, just... You know, it's all this one thing moving, right? And so um, then if you want to think individually, like I am washing my face and I have to go to this appointment, well, okay. But first, just move into the movement of washing 
my face, you know, and I, you know, with, 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 that's the universal, that's kind of life, you know, uh, and, and so I, when I was writing, I was talking about how I always want to understand everything and make it a concept. And um, I loved how he kept pointing us back to the actual practice is um, just kind of releasing all these tendencies to want to conceptualize or talk about or understand or, um, you know, we, I grasp, as soon as my mind goes, I start to grab at it. I grab at the thoughts instead of washing my face. You get it? So that's, that's what kind of struck me. And um, Stephanie, I just loved how you talked about um, the vegetable and, <clears throat> you know, how that kind of helped you. It helps me too. And I remember uh, there was a time when uh, I was having, I was in a retreat and I was eating and all of a sudden it just, all of a sudden this, this thought came up. <gasps> oh my God, I was looking at my plate of food. There was fruit, uh, fruit on it. And I thought, oh, it's just life eating life. It was, like, it was like this whole, it was like this whole movement of, I wasn't separate from the eating and the eating, you know, the, 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 the fruit and the fruit wasn't separate from me. It was all energy and life interacting in this interconnectedness, you know? So um, a lot of what he wrote about tonight, um, he struck a chord with me. Yeah. I had a question that came up in the beginning of the reading. He talked about uh, there was there's a point in meditation where if you if the thought comes to your mind, I'm succeeding at this meditation, then you're not really in the meditation. And I don't really have that thought when I'm in meditation. But there does come a point when I'm meditating where, and I wondered if other people, I wonder what other people think. Um, like there's a point in meditation where I will reach something and I don't think of it as like a success. I just see it as different from my everyday waking reality. It's something different. It's like I lose my body become like uh it's almost like a floaty disembodied feeling and it's very pleasant it's it's almost like i'm floating in an ocean of existence or something i don't know it's as soon as i try to say what it is it's it doesn't begin to touch what it is but um i'm just kind of curious like uh what other people like um Think about that, I guess, in their lives. Well, those pleasant states come and go in meditation. So do terrifying states and so do um, anxious, anxiety producing states. And all of them that come and go are um, projections. Uh, they're projections of uh, our egoic mind. And so we enjoy the pleasant sensations, but we have to be careful not to be attached to them. Um, then it becomes just like, you might as well be at a, in a hot tub, right? We have very pleasant sensations in a hot tub. Um, and meditation isn't about that really, but 
it's, it's um, I think I like the description of it as that's part of the scenery that you're passing through. You're just moving through that scenery. So um, I, I like to think, you know, uh, like it's like we're in a little boat on a big river. And then there are parts of it that are really turbulent and we're just trying to get through the rapids, right? Just trying to figure out how to get through this, this rough part of the river. And then it opens out into a broad, wide expanse of river where it's relatively calm. We enjoy that, but we're uh, in the river. So we can't stay there. Uh, we know that we're moving through it. And that's uh, very enjoyable, very pleasurable, uh, but also can be a trap if we become attached to that. Those mm -hmm. feelings. We're using meditation as a way to try reach that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I love this chapter. I thought this chapter was one of my favorites in the whole book, um, partly because of the reference to light. And I'm surprised people haven't really picked up on that. But that was the that was the key point for me. I can I can tell you what I wrote about that. Um, uh, everyone everyone is made of light. We're all made of photons. That's what we're actually made of. So being light is very freeing. We simply radiate our basic goodness and wisdom and compassion without any concern about how it's perceived, how we're judged, whether we're getting something we want, whether we're going somewhere. So it's simplicity itself without regard for the turmoil of the world or our own inner emotional states, good or bad. So this is not denial, but a recognition of the deeper reality beyond surface impressions and moods beyond our longing and rejection, our attempts to look good and be loved. It's also unnecessary. So once I, when I was on the island of Molokai in Hawaii, looking at the sunrise, I distinctly heard a voice that said, simply radiate the great light that you are. I don't usually hear voices or see images, but this was very clear and instructive. So we're always scrambling to get somewhere or accomplish something, make some kind of impression on others. It's not that in being light, you do nothing or ignore others and their suffering. Rather, you bring light, your light into the world, into the circumstances of your life. And in this way, you offer what is most needed. You enact it through this particular body and mind and set of skills and experiences, as Katagiri says, at this intersection of time and space, which is where we always find ourselves. And you don't need to worry because the light there is always good, always a safe and friendly neighborhood. It's such a very, very simple thing, but we make a big project or burden or hassle out of it. We use our conditioning to tell ourselves stories that scare us or deter us or distress us about ourselves, our capacities, the world and others. I mean, who hasn't sat in Zazen and thought, everybody else seems to be getting this, but I just, I, I just, my mind is all over the place. I don't know what I'm doing. So Zazen allows us to peer behind the screen on which we're always projecting our stories about ourselves in our world and see the naked light that we really are. That was my, um, my great interest in that. And the chapter was in the way he talks about light and about the light that we are and the light that we bring. That, that to me is sort of the heart of the chapter. Because when you see that way, then you look everywhere you look, every little Zoom square, every person you pass on the street, every idiot who cuts you off in traffic, all you see is the light. So that's why I fell in love with this chapter. That's, this chapter is actually the reason I recommended this book. Mm -hmm. Because of that.
Yeah. Nelda. Yes. You were going to speak up. Oh, well, I, I, would, I was waiting and listening to what you had to say. So um, I found this chapter exquisitely written because I found it so deeply resonant. And um, I don't know. Well, I do know. Here's what I know. About six years ago, when I started my search for a spiritual path, I came across a quote. I don't know who wrote it, but it, it, it was something like, be noble for you are made of stardust. Be humble for you are made of earth dust. And something just opened up in me knowing if, you know, you can follow those thoughts, those logical scientific thoughts of, oh, stardust, big bang theory, blah, blah, blah. But, but I didn't go there. I just, I just pictured the beginning of creation, wherever that was. And we all started from there and we all scattered from there and we took different forms, but we're still stardust and earth dust is stardust. And so we are all exactly the same thing in different kinds of iterations. So of course I see the whole universe in a flower or in a weed that I hate pulling and I thank for its service because it's me, it's all of us, it's, it's all connected. And so I, I truly deeply see that where I harm myself, I'm harming all. And where I benefit others, I'm benefiting all and which includes me. So, so, but I, but I love See, I'm a con I need connect the dots because I can viscerally, deeply, I don't know, I, I think it's even deeper than viscerally. I can really get that, but to be able to speak to it in words, I, I, I find no words and I always am so grateful for those like you, Peg, and for those um like category who are able to take that knowing and put it in words to make what I know even richer, even richer. So, I found his discussion of time and space to be very interesting. Um, you know, he talked about the realm of space as being Buddha nature, you know, and when you think in terms of space, everything is one and all beings are interconnected. But with time, it's different, you know, and he said that time is like this process and we get these provisional natures and it's all moment by moment. Um, I just thought that was very interesting how he treated space and time differently in that, um, somehow with space there's like there's no privileging of this spot or that spot it's like the whole universe is alive but with time it's different you know only the present moment is real and and i just found that to be fascinating Well, we're coming to the end of our time, but I just wanted to thank you, Stephanie, for facilitating. Mm. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for showing up. Mm. I really appreciate it.
I would have had nothing to facilitate if you weren't here. <laughs> so thank you. And um, next week we'll start with chapter four. And hopefully I'll have my book. Hmm. So it's 8.30. Um, uh, and uh, we want to make sure we respect our time. So good night, everybody. And I'll see you all next week. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you. Thank you. Well, be well, everyone. Thank you, everybody.